0: I'll ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me for our scripture reading for our sermon text this morning. We come at last. I didn't add any more sermons to the series. <laughs> we come at last now to our final sermon in this first series, our firm foundation. We're going to read together Romans chapter 8. Romans 8. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 37 and we'll read to verse 39. I ask that you please stand for the reading of Holy Scripture. This is God's holy word for us, His people, Romans 8, 37 through 39. God's word says, In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is God's holy word for us as people. Let's ask him to bless our time in this word. Father, we ask that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word today. We ask that you would reveal yourself and stand forth from your word. And that you would write this good word upon our hearts. That we might be changed to be more like our Lord Jesus. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So we come to the end. Final sermon in this series to tie up this exposition of Romans 8. We started in verse 28. And we're mar- we've marched all the way through these last 12 weeks now to the end. Verses 38 and 39 will be our focus. I just want to, Last week we, I added a sermon. So I want to take a step back and connect it to what we saw two weeks ago. In this series, one of the most important emphases has been that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and all to His glory alone. Now that salvation happens at our conversion. A second emphasis that we've had in this series, and we've seen it, as a thread running throughout, but we focused a little more on it the last couple of weeks, is this. The second fundamental emphasis is that once we are saved at our conversion, by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, once we are saved, we must begin to follow Jesus. Conversion means turning away from a life of sin as a rebel against Christ. And turning to a life of obedience as a faithful follower of Christ conversion is you stop being one thing and heading in one direction and you turn around and you become this new thing heading in a new direction that's conversion once we are converted we must begin to follow Jesus We must begin being conformed into his image. That process we talked about of sanctification. We are converted into justified, forgiven disciples. Disciples. A disciple is someone who follows the master. Who learns and follows the master. Now two weeks ago... I preached about enduring to the end. We must continue to follow Jesus, to live the Christian life, to walk with the Lord, and to endure in that walk to the end. And we saw several key points. Life is hard. Life is hard. Sin is deadly. Our flesh is weak. The world is enticing The enemy is crafty and the way is narrow. We must endure to the end. And we said two weeks ago that we have this amazing promise that Christ will endure to the end in his love and commitment to us. We must endure to the end, but oh, we saw this promise in verse 35 of Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And you go through this laundry list of things that could potentially cut us off from Christ. And as we read in verse 37, he says, No, in all these things we're more than conquerors through Him who loved us. We must endure to the end, and we have this promise that Christ will endure to the end for us, in His love for us, and His commitment for us. Nothing will separate us from His commitment of love to us, and that gives us hope. He has overcome the world. He's overcome the flesh, and the devil, and death, and hell, and the grave. And through Him, we are more than conquerors. Amen. Now, this morning, we come to the final two verses of Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39, and we're going to look at this climactic promise at the pinnacle of the letter. Paul assures us that nothing can separate us from God's love in Christ. And I want us to dig into this promise today and notice three things That should increase our assurance. Remember, last week we talked about assurance. Here's three more rock solid foundations for our assurance number one, the power of God, number two, the promise of the covenant, and number three, the preeminence of Christ. And as we dig in and we look at these points from Romans 8, 38 and 39, we learn this glorious truth today. Because we are inseparable from God's love in Christ, we cannot lose our salvation. We cannot lose our salvation. And what, these three points we're going to walk through... Explain why. We have to endure to the end two weeks ago. As we're doing so, we can have great assurance that we are saved and on our way to glory. And now we look at the foundation for why it is true that we cannot lose our salvation. So let's dig in. Let's look first at this list of things Paul gives us. In verses 38 and 39. Just like back in verses 35 and 36. We had a list of things that could potentially separate us from the love of Christ. He gives another list of things that could potentially separate us from the love of God. Look what he says. Verses 38 and 39. He says, I'm sure that neither death nor life. Nor angels nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from God's love for us. Death cannot take you away from the love of God. Death is a fact that we just have to confront But it's not evidence that God does not love us. No matter what kind of death it is. And no matter at what point in life it comes. It is not evidence that we have been abandoned by God. Nor life. Neither death nor life. Some... It is possible to have a kind of life that's so awful... That it actually makes death look attractive. And there are people all over the world who have such a life. As uh, one character in the show House once put it dying's easy, living is hard. And sometimes that's true. Sometimes that's true. Life can be t- very, very hard, but it's not evidence. That you've lost the love of God. And it's in the middle of a terrible death or a terrible life. It's right in the middle of that when you need a passage like this. Is it not? It's right in the midst of this struggle that you need something solid you can cling to in those times and in those moments. You need something to assure you. And this passage is written for us who go through all these things. Nothing in death and nothing in life either can separate you from the love of God. And he says, nor angels nor rulers, the mightiest, most glorious, powerful archangel of heaven. If he were to turn his back on God and come down and say, I am going to see to it that you're lost. He would not be able to pull it off. The mightiest angel of heaven couldn't convince God to stop loving you. Just read Job. Right? The accuser comes before the throne of God and says, Ah, I know. I know how I can make Job turn his back on you. And just read the whole book. That's a miserable life. There's death and suffering all around Job and he's steadfast to the end. No angel... Can separate you from the love of God. Rulers. No one in this world who has authority. No prime minister. No city councilman. No governor. No legislature. No congress. No parliament. No emperor. No one. Can do anything to you that will take you away from the love of God. Nor things present, nor things to come. Nothing going on now and nothing coming down the road is going to be able to separate you from the love of God. Nor powers. It's interesting, if we were doing a full, full series, just walking through this word for word, we could get into these powers, these angelic forces, these dark forces that are at work in God's fallen world who tempt, and who try, and who trick, and who deceive, and who make war against us, who are crafty, who are like the serpent in the garden. Has God really said, oh, you're not going to die. Oh, just take a nibble. Come on, take a bite of sin. God didn't mean what He said. No power in heaven or earth can take you away. From the love of God, they cannot ultimately prevail. Nor powers. Verse thirty-nine. Nor height, nor depth. You could be on the mountaintop, and you can be in the lowest pit, and in neither place where there are dangers. The dangers on on the mountaintop are pride and presumption. And look how mighty I am. And I don't really need God. I'm healthy. I'm strong. I'm successful. I need nothing from God. I can't be touched. Come at me. Nothing can stop me. And we puff out our chest and we get prideful. And we don't realize that one misstep, we could break a foot and be laid up for months. Because we're so fragile and frail. One little injury can derail you for months. And then where is your strength? There are dangers on the heights. But there are dangers in the depths as well as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Is there anything in that valley, Christian, that can take you away from the love of God? Paul says, no. There's nothing down there, terrifying as it may be, that can sever you from the love of God. And in the big climax in verse 39, nor anything else in all creation, nothing in this created world, he says, can take us away They're all unable to separate us from His love. They do not have the power. Notice this. There's a couple of things He says specifically about this list. Here's the first thing He says in verse 39. Look carefully. He says, "...nor anything else in all creation will be able." In Greek, "...will not have the power." "...will not have the capacity." The ability to defeat God's love for you. They are ultimately powerless against God. God has the power. God has the control. He has the authority over all these things. And that takes us back to the main point of verse 28, doesn't it? We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. First sermon in the series, how can God make that promise? How can He guarantee you that everything will work together for your good? Answer, He is in charge and He is in control of everything and He can make sure that it works for your good. He has the power over everything that is created. Whatever isn't God, God rules it and owns it and orders it and directs it for his own purposes in in our life god's in charge god's in control and then the, he says that they are created he doesn't they're not just unable to separate us they're just creatures and that tips you off again that god is the one who brought them into being god is the one who decided that they would exist. They couldn't even exist if it weren't for God's will, for God's decree. And therefore, if their very being is up to God, their every move is up to God as well. As R.C. Sproul is famous for saying, there are no maverick molecules in the universe. Not one atom moves. Not one atom thousandth of a millimeter without God's say-so. Or as Jesus says, not one bird up on the tree limb can flutter down to the ground and land apart from the will of the Father. God is sovereign over all creation. And this means that these things exist because of His will and they are subject to His purpose and His plan. They cannot thwart God's sovereign power or plan. Nothing can overrule God's electing, predestining, redeeming purpose to claim you for Himself and to bring you all the way to glory to be with Him forever. Behold the power of your God. That's the first reason this morning. Point one. That we can know that we will endure to the end. That we cannot lose our salvation. The power of God holds us firmly and securely. He will not let us go. That's number one. Second point this morning. The promise of the covenant. Now, the word covenant, for those of you who are reading closely or following along closely, you notice the word covenant is not in this passage. The word is not in this passage. But if we look just below the surface we find that the promise of God's covenant with us is at the heart of this text. Paul declares that God has pledged His eternal, unchangeable, inseparable love to His people and that this love is pledged to us in Christ Jesus. Just look at verse 39 nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And that phrase, God's love for us in Christ Jesus. There is a world of glorious theology just below the surface. We're seeing the little peak of the iceberg above the water and there's this enormous mountain of glorious... Scripture underneath this promise. The love of God which is in Christ Jesus. God pledges his love to us in Christ. This reality that Paul is declaring is the content of what Scripture calls the new covenant. The new covenant. I just, like I said, there's a mountain of Scripture we could look at under this point. I just want to focus on two points about the new covenant. Two points here this morning. And we're going to limit ourselves to what Paul himself alludes to here in the text. So he alludes to two things, just to preview it for you. He alludes to God's pledge of inseparable love. And then he says this love is pledged in Christ Jesus. So let's look at these two points. So first, God's pledge of inseparable love. The prophets in the Old Testament, they foretold... They foretold of this new covenant that's coming. They told us what to look for in the New Testament. St. Augustine had a wonderful phrase. He said, Let's talk about the Old Testament and the New and how they relate to each other. He said, The New is in the Old concealed, and the Old is in the New revealed. The prophets foretold of this new covenant that's coming. And through the prophets, God announced that one day he would replace the old covenant made through Moses with a new covenant with his people. The people broke that old covenant and God sent them into exile. But one day God promised he would bring his people back to himself and to make with them an everlasting, unbreakable covenant. So let's look at a couple texts and see God's covenant promise and how this promise guarantees that we cannot lose our salvation. The first is Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. Verse 33, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law not on tablets of stone, not up on a mountain where Moses has to come down and try to get hard-hearted people to obey some words on some rocks. Not an external law like in the old covenant. No, he says, I will put my law within them and I will write it. "...on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more." There's this glorious new day coming, he tells Jeremiah, on the eve of the exile, way back in the 6th century B.C. This old covenant that you guys have shattered. The way Moses, when he sees them worshiping the golden calf, he throws down the Ten Commandments and the tablets shatter on the ground. It's a picture of what Israel has done, what the people of God did With the old covenant. But he says, I'm making a new covenant. And it's not one that can be broken. Why? Because I'm going to write my law in their hearts. I'm going to put it within them. The tablet of the law will be the human heart. And they will know me from the inside out. And I will forgive all their iniquity. They will be my people. They'll act like my people. And I will be their God. And they'll act like I'm their God. This is his pledge in the new covenant: a faithful people that will not break their covenant with God. Second passage. This is that was Jeremiah thirty-one. Here's the second passage: Jeremiah thirty-two, verses thirty-eight to forty-one. He says, "They shall be my people, and I will be their God. I will give them one heart." This was Israel's problem. They didn't have a heart to follow the Lord their heart did not long to follow him by and large a remnant did but the rest did not and this promise is i'm under this new covenant i'm going to give them the heart i want them to have it's a gift i will give them one heart and one way one path for them to walk on i'll give them one heart In one way, that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice. This is God. I will rejoice in doing them good. And I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. Just hear this pledge of love. I'm not just going to put a new law on your heart. I'm going to put a whole new heart itself. A brand new heart that has my law written on it and that has fear for me in it. You will reverence me and worship me and you will follow me. He says, I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. This is God's pledge to you that he will keep you saved. My people will not turn away from me under this new covenant because I'm going to work on the inside, not just with hard tablets of rock talking to hard-hearted people, but brand new people with brand new hearts who don't just do different things, but they are new creatures who don't just change on the so-called surface level, the you know, quote-unquote spiritual level, who just adopt some new behaviors and turn over a new leaf. No, these are people who are going to be brand new creatures, who are going to be different creatures. And I will not turn away from them. What a pledge. What a promise under this new covenant. And here's one more. This is in Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36. He says in verse 24, I will take you from the nations. This is after the exile. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. Verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. We have idols in our hearts. We have filthiness in our deeds. We live lives of sin. And we worship and serve creatures rather than the creator. As John Calvin says, we, the human heart, the fallen human heart, is an idolatry factory. It cranks out idols On a daily basis. Things that we craft in our own heart. and our own mind. God made us in his image. And we return the favor. And we worship the thing we've made up in our heads. And we serve all sorts of things. That aren't God. And that can't satisfy. And ultimately cannot save. We have uncleanness. And we have idols. And this promise is. I've got clean water. This is what our baptism symbolizes. I have pure water. Clean water. And I will sprinkle this water on you. I will pour out this water upon you. And you will be clean all the way down. Noah's flood wiped out the world. It wiped out all the sinners, but it couldn't wipe away sin. Because Noah sinned. And his sons sinned. And sin just kept right on going. The flood wiped out sinners, but it couldn't wipe away our sins. This is clean, pure water that will wipe away that old, stained, guilty heart. This is water that will be so satisfying that we, won't, we will not turn back to those old idols that lie to us for so long that promised us satisfaction and contentment and lied to us and left us with nothing. Sin promises us everything and it takes everything away. This promise is, I've got water that will cleanse you. Verse 26, I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. A hard heart that's impervious to God, that doesn't respond to Him. For a new, living, beating heart that beats for Him, that loves Him, that longs for Him. I'll give you this new heart. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That's God's promise to you that he will give you the heart you need to love him. He will give you the path for your feet to walk in and he'll show you what that path is and shine a light upon it so you can see your way. He will give you the law in your heart so you know him from the inside out. He will put His Spirit in you and it will cause you to walk in His ways. He will make you careful to obey His rules. This is His pledge and His promise to you. He's going to make sure you keep taking that next step on the narrow way. He's going to make sure you keep enduring to the end. He's going to work with you, in you, and on you. (laughs) And we pray He'll work through us so that we can be A help to others, to our brothers and our sisters. This is the new covenant promise. It's an unbreakable covenant. It's one God will not go back on. That's the first thing I I want us to see about the new covenant today. God's pledge of inseparable love in this new covenant that guarantees we're going to keep walking with Him and living for Him. The second thing about this new covenant to see this morning is that this inseparable covenant is pledged to us in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. On the cross, when Jesus purchased and accomplished your redemption with His blood, He did so by ratifying... And establishing and enacting the new covenant in behalf of his people. Jesus' death did a lot of things. And one of the things it did was it enacted this new covenant. This is what Jesus says in Luke 22. This is at the Last Supper. This is what the Lord's Supper, what communion is all about. Luke 22, it says, And he took bread, this is verses 19 and 20, He took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. The cup that we drink in the Lord's Supper is a sign of the blood that Christ poured out, that purchased and ratified and enacted for his people these new covenant promises. These are blood-bought promises. Free to us, but it cost the Son of God everything. And he was happy to make the payment for you he purchased this new covenant and all the promises that go with it for his people. Just as the old covenant was mediated through Moses, so this new covenant is mediated through Christ. We looked a few weeks ago at Christ the mediator. Moses was the mediator of the old covenant, and Jesus is the mediator of this new covenant. And what he mediates to you are those covenant promises we just read from Jeremiah and Ezekiel those glorious, unbreakable, inseparable promises. Jesus Christ purchased them for us. By His blood, His ministry of intercession at God's right hand as our living, risen Savior guarantees that all God's covenant promises will be fulfilled for you. His blood bought those promises And they will be fulfilled. And that means you will be kept to the end. Now Jesus himself brings God's power and his covenant promises together. When he says in John chapter 6 verses 37 to 39. All that the father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Well, what's that, Jesus? Well, hold on, he's getting to it. And this is the will of him who sent me. That I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. That's a promise. His will for Jesus is that he loses nothing and no one that the Father has given to him. Whoever God has elected and predestined to belong to Jesus and be saved by him will be saved by him and will make it to the end. He will raise you up on the last day if you belong to him. Or again, he says in John 10, one of the best passages in the Bible about this, verses 27 to 30, he says, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. Nothing in all creation can separate you from the love of God. My Father who gave them to me... He's talking about you, Christian. He's greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So you have God the Father and God the Son who have taken their hands and they have got you clutched, claimed, safe and secure... Nothing and no one can pluck you out of the iron grip of the Trinity. They have claimed you and they will not let you go. That's what Jesus promises. The Father will not let you go and neither will I. Now there are some who say, well, that sounds wonderful. No one can pluck me out of God's hand. That's great. But what if I use my free will and I jump out? No one can pluck me, but what if I just jump out? This is where you come in. A pastor friend of mine years ago uh, was talking to someone who had this concern. And she said, Look, I just... I know God's got me, but I'm just so worried that I'm going to do something so stupid one day. and I'm just going to backslide, and I'm, and I'm just going to fall through the cracks in his fingers. How do I know, pastor, I'm not going to fall through the cracks. I'm going to slip through his fingers. And that pastor looked at her, and she said, that's never going to happen because I'm one of his fingers. And I'm going to be here for you. And I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to love you. And I'm going to walk with you. And I will make sure that I'm here with scripture and prayer and love and support. I'm one of his fingers. God has a church. And you're one of his fingers. And we need each other. To encourage each other, to pray for each other, to intercede for each other, to speak into each other's brokenness and into each other's rebellious moments, and to get real serious with each other, and to tell each other the truth, and to trust each other enough to give each other the gospel and not a pointed finger and condemnation. Because we're going to have a time in our life where we are struggling and we need someone to give us the gospel we need to be a place where we can confess our sins to each other, where we can be real with each other, actually be broken with each other, and love each other and trust each other enough to look for healing in this body and not fear each other, and not fear each other's judgment and condemnation and rejection. This is a place where all of us need Christ every hour. We have these glorious promises. He's going to hold on to us, and you're part of the plan. We're going to help each other walk this walk all the way to the end. Nothing can separate you, and nothing can separate us. Don't miss the us of this promise. Final thing this morning that guarantees that we cannot lose our salvation, and it's the preeminence of Christ. The preeminence of Christ. It's Christ the King Sunday. So we got to end on his lordship, his kingship. Paul says in verse 39, he says, Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And that last phrase, our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus is Lord of all creation. He is King and Lord and Master over all things. He is seated upon a throne of unrivaled supremacy this very morning. He is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. God has given him a matchless throne so that he might reign and rule for you and not against you. As we read in the shorter catechism earlier before we prayed. He is a king for us, not against us. If this Jesus, this mighty king, rules for you, who can be against you? If this Jesus, this merciful mediator, bleeds and pleads for you, what could ever separate you from him? God has pledged all His sovereign power, all His covenant love to you and has put His Son upon the cross and then upon the throne to guard and defend you, His redeemed people, firm to the end. You belong to Him. He claimed you, He redeemed you, He is changing you, He is keeping you, and He will see to it, as He promised, that you will persevere and endure to the end. All for His great glory and for His eternal praise. Give Him thanks and praise for this today, Christian. Worship your King this morning and rejoice in Him. Jesus reigns today. Give Him glory. He reigns. And because He lives, you will live with Him. And because He loves, nothing can separate you from that love. And this is our firm foundation. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we give you such thanks and praise today that you've given us such a savior, such a king, such a mighty champion for us who has done it all, who paid it all, who gave it all, who held nothing back, and who will hold nothing back in the future. And so I pray today, Lord, that we would hold nothing back from you. Take our life and let it be. Use our hands and our feet. Use our time and our resources, our families. All of our wealth, all of our goods, all of our gifts and talents. Take them all, Lord, and consecrate them to be used in your glorious service to advance your kingdom. Help us to get our minds and our focus off the petty temporal pursuits that we want and to get on board with this kingdom that you are spreading abroad throughout the earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And give us confidence. Give us confidence that we are inseparably, unbreakably loved by you. That this new covenant we are in through Christ and Christ alone... We are secure. In this covenant, we have such promises. Oh, help us to return over and over again to these promises, to have great assurance in our Savior, to trust in you, to continue changing us and keeping us, changing our hearts a little bit at a time, day after day, Lord's day after Lord's day, and year after year, as we walk patiently, with you on this narrow way towards our inheritance when we will see you face to glorious face. Help us to stand firm and secure on this firm foundation with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone and his cross as the keystone. Hold us, we pray. Use us, we pray. Make us your chosen instruments in this community to spread your gospel far and wide to advance your kingdom and to glorify the name of Christ. For we ask it in his name. Amen. Amen.